Welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network's live 2020 election coverage, focusing on what organized labor is doing throughout the United States to ensure all votes are counted and labor's voice is heard. Reporting will be based on contributions from our national network of members. Views expressed do not represent official positions of the network. The Labor Radio Podcast Network has over 70 labor-focused shows in four countries and serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. You can follow the conversation with the hashtag LaborRadioPod, where we are broadcasting working people's voices 24 hours a day.
playing such beautiful, beautiful. Uh, that's the composer and producer right there, Danny Sure, We're going to talk with Danny in, in just a sec when I get my voice back. <laughs> um, uh, but first, I believe uh, Harold, if he has his voice, uh, is going to give us some news updates. Yeah, so we are at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, 5 o'clock Pacific, and that means that we have had a bunch of polls close. Alabama, Connecticut, you folks in the District of Columbia, Delaware, um, Illinois, uh, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Mississippi, Missouri, New Jersey, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Tennessee, and half of Texas. Is that right, Gene Lance? Uh, Gene was explaining they actually have two times when polls close because Texas is as big as two European countries put together. So apparently they have two different poll closing times. That's correct. The AP has called some states. Um, Virginia has been called for Joe Biden. South Carolina and West Virginia has been called for Donald Trump. Uh, so even though um, votes are still being counted, enough ballots have been counted that they've met that threshold where the AP or the reporting agencies don't think that there's enough ballots left to make up that difference. In addition, thank you, Alan. Um, Alabama, Mississippi, Oklahoma, and Tennessee have all been called for Donald Trump, while Biden has won Connecticut, Delaware, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Rhode Island. So no, no, uh, that's moving the electoral map there. No, no big surprises so far, I think, is the, the, the top line here. This is all pretty much according to, to uh, to projections at this point, I think, right? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think that there were some people who were wondering if Illinois might swing to the right, even given Chicago, mm. uh, but that stayed pretty solidly blue, so that's good to see. And um, in case people want to have the full election night experience, here's your map with uh, the red and blue. So there we go. Thank you, Harold. All right, uh, this is the Labor Radio Podcast Network uh, election night live stream. The network uh, is comprised of 73 uh, labor radio and podcast shows, um, mostly in the US, but uh, got uh, some in Canada, uh, one in Brazil and one in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they're all on our network page, uh, which Alan will put up there in the chat. Just a reminder to everybody that we are working to be as interactive as possible. Uh, and if you have questions, comments, uh, anything you want to contribute, go ahead and throw that into the chat and Alan will relay it to us and we will do our very best to uh, answer and engage with you. I also want to welcome uh, Jacob Morrison, uh, also from the Valley Labor Report. Jacob, good to see you. How you doing, brother? Good. Thanks for uh, glad to be here. All right. Uh, and so that brings me back uh, to to Danny uh, with that brilliant. Uh, uh, I 
I don't know, you know, it's, it's really not a trailer. I guess it's a music video, but it's so much more than that. Uh, it, it weaves together a huge number of strands of movements and history. Um, so if you can sort of remind folks, you know, the film is about this, uh, <laughs> a lot of us, you know, are here in the US. I, I lived in Rochester, so I'm very aware of, of Canada. Uh, somehow I did not know about the Winnipeg general strike of 1919. Um, I, so my bad on that one. Um, but that's what the film is about. But as you've said, you know, all of the issues in that strike uh, are ripped from today's headlines. And to me, that seems to be what the video is about. But you tell me. Sure. Well, so what you saw just now, that's our pop music video. You saw that most excellent singer and actress who's in the movie, Lisa Bell. So she's uh, playing this escapee from Oklahoma who came to Winnipeg, which is a big part of our black community's history. The Great Migration went farther north than the Canadian border. Um, so that's, that's just our music video. But the story of the movie, as much as it's about the Winnipeg general strike, it's about what was going on in the world in 1919, exactly what was going on in Winnipeg was going on in Seattle and Barcelona and Brisbane. Like uh, it was a, as tumultuous a year as this is. And it's just an accident of history that a hundred years later, we have a replay of all of those themes, the stuff that was going on with labor, the stuff that was going on with race. Remember 1919 is also known as the Red Summer, not because of the Russian Revolution being potentially transported to uh, North America, but because of all the bloodletting from like 26 major race riots. Um, so it, it's so similar to today. I don't want to take too much time. Did I answer the question? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah no, it's it's uh, it's it's a great film and and you know to me and and tonight it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you back tonight was you know obviously you know the issues that we're dealing with tonight and in this election are are absolutely serious, but to me it's when these issues and these movements begin making their way into art and start winding up in movies and plays and musicals and paintings uh that's when the rubber really hits the road for me right you know well so that video and we're actually premiering it via the network virtually for the first time it's just been released like in the last 10 days and we specifically wanted it ready for right about now i cut that video together and I specifically wanted that shot of Mandela going, I vote. That for me, I watched it just now and I got all weepy. I'm with you, brother. So, I'm with you. Um, that video is specifically the US election version of that song. But here's what's going on. So the reason you've kindly had me on, we've been communicating about this for years. You've seen the movie. I have. On December 1st at over 400 theaters across the United States, the movie plays one show only. And this so speaks to what Paul was saying. So when we convinced the major uh, affiliates uh, of the AFL-CIO and others to support the film directly, what we said was, 
we're making the next Norma Ray meets Hamilton. It's a musical, but trust me, people are going to dig it. And I got this great testimonial video of an IBEW dude who saw it in Toronto last year about this time. And he's, he's just kind of mind blown and says, I don't like movies. I don't like musicals, but damn, I love that movie. And he's, he's just been a big fan. So it's that kind of movie. And so what we envision and God, we couldn't have had a worse time with COVID. No, right. What, what we're saying is on December 1st, in those jurisdictions where theaters are legally allowed to open, and of course, we're not encouraging anyone to do anything they're uncomfortable with, but if you're comfortable with attending a socially distanced COVID safe screening, on that night, we envision a national night of solidarity. Because this movie, you've seen it, Chris, it builds solidarity. It's a union movie about a union event, about not just solidarity within the local, but how we can return to that era which he was describing where the Union Hall was community. And like, there's just no better union and member engagement thing than seeing this movie. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, and, and it really, you deal with immigration issues, black, white issues, uh, sexism. I mean, it really, you, you kind of threw the whole kitchen sink at there. I, I got to tell you, and um, I think we got, we still got a couple of minutes because we're waiting for our next guest, but I, I, I would love to have heard, uh, you know, as, as a guy who raises money for labor arts, um, and the people who get it, get it. But, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, because you, because as you all know, because you know everybody here is involved with a union, right? And unions have to answer to their members. And and I can just see, you know, I'm thinking about the IBW, which is actually where I saw it when you, you did a pre-screening for the IBW, which is one of the big funders of it. But I'm just wondering how that conversation went, you know, because the head of the IBW has to be thinking, not, you know, the head of the IBW may be totally into it, but he's got to be able to explain to his rank and file IBW member why he's putting their hard-earned dues money into a musical. So here's what that meeting in particular, God bless Lonnie Stevenson and every other major leader. When my colleague Cal, my co-producer and I came into the office, the way had sort of been paved by usually a chief of staff, but the looks on their faces, if you could have seen, was always, you're telling me a movie musical? Uh, I'm sort of imitating Lonnie. And God bless them. Here's what they understood. We said, this is the Glee generation. People learn and they're influenced by media. They're watching social media and they don't open textbooks, they watch movies. We're gonna make a movie that's evergreen, that's gonna teach hardcore labor general strike history and be entertaining as hell. They went for that. And what they did specifically, they just didn't give us cash. We pre-sold digital downloads that will be given to the education market on behalf of all of these uh, unions, over a half a million of them. Uh, I see Harold, uh, see one of the things you have to know about Harold is that he's a, he's a SAG after a member, he's a performer. Uh, I see him nodding, he knows, he knows what you're talking about. So Harold, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the floor because I'm, I'm sure you have something to say or something to ask. 
Well, yeah, Danny, I'm I'm listening to you talking about going into these meetings with funders, and I have worked with producers on a lot of different features, trying to get funding for their features. So I absolutely know what that world is like, but I think it was really innovative for you to do pre-sales specifically for education, because we've all been saying in labor for so long, that's something that's been lacking. The younger generations are not taught about labor history. Um, you know, nobody pulls out the Howard Zinn in eighth grade social studies or anything like that. I guess up in Canada, it would be grade eight. But uh, so how do you how do you think that this movie, which it sounds is going to be very popular, it's going to be very entertaining. How do you think that this movie is going to spread culturally? Is there a way that it can be shared? Is there a way that <clears throat> people are going to be able to um, spread the word to their friends within their circles? Well, for sure. So uh, I'll, I'll put the website address up again. On December 1st, we got 400 theaters that is playing in for that one night only. Thereafter, we're a little bit delayed, but we're going to be doing a theatrical release broader than just that one. Then it'll come to VOD. After its commercial release, it'll be released to all the schools via this program that unions funded. Uh, what I'm I want to ask you, I'm going to ask you to define jargon because these folks may not know the term VOD. Like Video on demand and streaming, yeah. essentially digital delivery. Yeah. So like and, your Amazon, your Netflix, that kind of thing. Yeah. But culturally, culturally we're hoping that the following happens so uh jim sauber of the nalc what he said it, when he said in our first meeting he sort of went man this is interesting you know most of our members are about 25 they don't know this history so as much as you may think you're making a movie that's culturally for the less than 25 year olds that watch Glee. He said, there are many members that could do well with watching this. So uh, I mentioned that because it's going to be from the ground up. We're not a studio movie with a hundred million dollar budget for production or for advertising. It really is through occasions like this that word gets known. Uh, I mean, we're going to try to get an Oscar nomination. And if we do, that'll really, really help. Um, but it's going to be a ground up thing is the answer through members like those 25 year old letter carriers that will see it either December 1st or otherwise. Um, yeah, I'm, that's I'm sorry, uh, I wanted to bring in uh, our, our labor historian, uh, uh, Alan Weirdak, who works at the, uh, the Meany Center, um, uh, Meany Labor Archives at the University of Maryland, sort of, so it's, we've got the, uh, who I think also is very interested in, you know, this challenge of how you, um, you know, make history uh, popular, because I don't know about in Canada, but in America, we like our history in the past. Right. <laughs> Interesting. In Canada, these kind of movies don't get made. What I really commend about Americans is that you popularize your own history. It's almost like it's you get slapped on the hand in Canada. So many of our reviews were of the sort that 
this is unbecoming of the Canadian uh, modus operandi to aggrandize something. Well, it's, it's interesting, you know, I guess thinking from a, a labor history perspective, um, you know, when we go back to going back to what Harold was talking about referencing Howard Zinn, you know, one thing um, in the mid 70s, Howard Zinn made a call to the Society of American Archivists, um, where he basically said that, you know, we need to document history as it happens to obtain the working class perspective, because essentially the archival record is the record of the oppressor. So moving forward, if we're going to balance or, you know, even the keel, I guess, you know, in terms of the historical record, what we need to be doing is documenting history as it happens from the perspective of the marginalized, the working class, the oppressed. Um, and I think, so I don't know, what, what are your thoughts there? How, like, what do you think that your, you know, your work does in terms of that? Well, here's a great story that is like, prima facie evidence of how you got to do it. So in the Winnipeg general strike, there was a, uh, an association uh, among the employers called the Citizens Committee of 1000. It was really like 20 guys that just ran the town forever. And they were such brutal oppressors of the general strike. There's one book about how many illegal things they did to influence the federal government to clamp down hard. Well, when I started raising the money for the stage musical on which this was based in about 2004, I knew I was calling up a rich guy whose grandfather was like the head of that committee. And he said to me, do you know who I am? And I said, totally, I know you're that guy's grandfather. And he said, what are you calling me for? This is nothing that should be remembered. This should be forgot. It's a stain on the the history of the city and the nation. And I'm like, what am I gonna say to that? So I said, hey, but you haven't even heard the music. And he laughed and I said, all I ask is that you listen to the music. Jump ahead to all these years later, the movie, and it was only a $7 million budget. Now that, I gotta qualify that. That sounds like a ridiculous amount because it's $10 million for one episode of Game of Thrones. That's really a ridiculously low amount but it's not the kind of money your average working musician like me has to raise. One third of that money came from labor. One third came from tax credits. And the other third came from all the descendants of the families of those who opposed it all those years ago. So we brought in, we call it our big tent. It was this coalition of people that said, this is history, this is important to tell. And there are some people that are hardcore right-wing, the equivalent of the Republican Party in Canada or the Conservative Party. And we managed to convince them and they're proud of this movie. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that's how it happened. So we got to tell the story that you wouldn't think would be told with the money from the people who opposed it. And they gave you that money with no terms or anything like that. They weren't like, you know, here's, here's the money, but sanitize the story in this way or something. Not a like. single editorial comment. And every one of them knowing that that money was deeply at risk. <laughs> that's, that's incredible, but that also seems like it's incredibly uncommon as well. 
It is, but it's a measure of this movie. And uh, we have so many friends in labor. It really was labor that made this movie. It's the reason I'm here tonight, because I got to meet Chris. And I've been to DC 15 times. Right, I'm, I'm itching to show the trailer right now. So if I don't show it now, we're going to have to show it in, uh, in some filler space. Uh, that's, that's fine. Yeah. And I think, uh, let me just check and see what's coming up. Oh, um, yeah. Charlie Fleming, maybe. Uh, and Charlie comes in. Uh, he, he, we definitely want to hear from, from Georgia. But yeah, go ahead and, and uh, show the trailer. Please roll it. Prices have doubled, but your wages have not. Your working conditions are terrible. So, I'm tired of all the people. What if you could earn $90 in six months? Who tell 90? me I should just go sit down. You think the government will let an immigrant tell them what to do? I'm sick of being seen as people. I'm Stefan Sokolowski. And being scared in my hometown. I live there. My name is Rebecca Almazo. When you don't count me among your equals, you got this color skin, and they don't let you in no more. Just lie down. The more we do nothing, the more nothing changes. So now I'm gonna stand on the strength of those shoulders. Join us in a general Don't strike. Stand up and never back down. Who's in? These hands have the strength to move boulders. Put down your tools. Join my line in the mind in this country. before it gets off the ground. If you go step on Sokolowski, I'll go with you. Everything's changed. The world's upside down. But we can't stop. can't wait till the first everybody's everybody's excited here so uh and i think you've got the uh the link make sure that that gets into uh facebook um and just uh i don't know if it's the last question but you know then one of the things you know obviously this is what you do but um the choice of a musical i mean originally it was a musical and that's an even you know i know you talked about it being 
Sorry? Even harder sell. Yeah, exactly. An even harder sell, right? I mean, uh, somebody was just, Alan was just talking about uh, Bisbee, uh, Bisbee 17, uh, which is a film that we also showed in the Labor Film Festival. Um, so you're really, I mean, it's like you're just building, you know, sort of it's labor history, you know. And by the way, it's unabashed labor history uh, as, as, you know, those of us who look at these films, you know, a lot of times people will sort of, you know, do other stuff with it, you know, but as you can even see from the trailer, I mean, this is, this is right out in front. The issues are right out in front, um, you know, but then to do all of that and to do a, a musical, it, it really, it's almost, uh, as, you know, like, all right, let me, let me, what, what's the hardest possible thing we can do here? <laughs> yeah. Well, and the answer is, I just believe in music. You know, I think every one of us has a number of songs in our life that just hit us emotionally. They're just gonna do something because of the time and place that we experienced that song. Well, in a good musical, and I'm not suggesting that this is a great musical, but that's the attempt. You know, like music does say something more than dialogue. And if people can just get their bums in the seat, they like this movie. So I think the chance was worth it. I'll just close with this because I don't want to monopolize. Um, but um, the, one of the greatest things someone ever said to me about the movie was in DC at the AFL-CIO building uh, at one of our screenings, they came up and said, your story is our story. And that just gets me weepy because Canadians have a major insecurity complex. We don't do our own stories because we're like, the Americans aren't gonna like it. And I didn't do it to seek favor, but it feels really great when you know that it's speaking universally. So as to the question of the election tonight, to just wrap this all up, know that we in Canada wish you the Canadian slogan, the Canadian motto. So the, the American motto is of course, uh, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Did you know it's kind of comical, but appropriate for tonight. The Canadian model is peace and good government. <laughs> <laughs> so I wish you that. Thank you so much, Danny. Really appreciate it. And uh, we will continue to spread the word. And I look forward to uh, bringing a whole lot of folks out on December 1st. Thanks again. Thanks. Right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, All right, that's wonderful. And uh, with that, we will hop on down to Georgia. We have the uh, president of the Georgia AFL-CIO uh, with his blue state behind him. And Charlie Fleming, how are we looking? Well, it's going to be tight. It's going to be very tight. But uh, it's, uh, we're a little disappointed in the turnout today, quite honestly. Uh, we were expecting uh, to have more folks at the polls. That being said, uh, we're going to break all the records as uh, far as the uh, number of voters. Uh, I think it's going to come right down to, to the wire. We've had very few problems. Uh, the lines haven't been very long, which, like I said, was a little disappointing. Uh, but there's only been a couple of problems at a few precincts. And then one major problem with uh, uh, Paulding County, which is a southern, uh, just south of the city, about 40 minutes. Uh, they had a uh, shutdown first thing this morning, and so they were uh, 
doing things by a paper ballot and so on. And so they have extended the polls till nine o'clock. So those polls haven't really closed yet for another 30 minutes. But uh, other than that, um, everything's gone pretty smooth. There hasn't been a lot of, uh, you know, any kind of intimidation or anything. One thing that really surprised me uh, this afternoon was how many businesses and uh, small businesses and, and actually uh, downtown Atlanta, some of the suburbs, people were boarding up their, uh, their windows. That was, it's disappointing, you know, because uh, this is, it shouldn't be this way. But anyway, no, we're still excited. We think uh, we, we got a shot. We got a shot. And this is the other thing I didn't say last night. Uh, we've got a shot at winning two Senate races in this state. Uh, we're going to be in one of the runoffs. I was with uh, Reverend Warnock on a couple of events early this morning and, and around lunchtime. Uh, he's going to get in a runoff for uh, uh, one of the Senate races. And then the John Ossoff and uh, Senator Purdue race is going to be neck and neck and it'll be much like the presidential race it's going to come down to a point or two so we'll see what happens but uh and you know actually that race could uh possibly be also in a runoff because there is a a third party or libertarian uh candidate and uh right now like i said the the polls have been showing them one or two points apart so you know if you get a 48 47 and uh, the the libertarian gets three points here or four points you you know you're in another runoff which would really be crazy because we'll be the only game in town in january uh there'll be you know and and the balance of the u.s senate could uh definitely uh, be decided by those two senate races so it's pretty crazy wow interesting I'm going to open it up to uh, my colleagues. Uh, if anybody has uh, questions, especially from some of those uh, neighboring states, uh, Evan, I'll start with you. So Loeffler's husband is a Wall Street guy. How how is she selling herself as a uh, lady of the people of Georgia? She's selling herself self strictly as a Trumper. Uh, she hasn't done any grassroots. You can go in Republican neighborhoods and you'll see all kinds of uh, Trump signs. Uh, some Collins signs, which is her ma uh, major uh, contestant, you know, uh, former uh, House Representative Collins. Uh, she has no signs. She has no grassroots uh, uh, campaign. She's just uh, got tons of money. She spent almost $30 million of her own money uh, on this campaign. And she's flying around and selling herself as a, a Trump. This is crazy. Uh, you know, the other things that, you know, and I don't want to get out the Senate race so much, but we also are pretty excited. We're going to pick up a congressional race here in the, in the seventh district, uh, seventh congressional district. Uh, and we're going to hold on, I believe, to the, the one we flipped two years ago, the sixth congressional district. So, you know, Georgia is really changing and we're picking them off a few at a time. Uh, last cycle, two years ago, we won 11 seats on the uh, state house, and our goal is to pick up 15, which I know is a big climb, but if we get up, say, 13, if we win 15, we'll take over the Georgia state house. Uh, if we don't get there and say we pick up another 11 or 12, it's going to give us a lot of sway when it comes to redistricting 
for this state because, of course, uh, the house uh, in the state uh, it plays a big part in redistricting. Mm -hmm. I want to I want to uh, get some questions from uh, some of our other shows that are that are down in the south, uh, whether it's you know Jacob, David, uh, uh, Jeremy. Y'all are just yielding to each other. That's unusual. I, <laughs> I, man, I'm just wrapped up. I'm, I'm watching numbers rolling in here and stuff and just kind of following all the, uh, we got it. We got a. um, it looks like we're getting pounded in Kentucky with, in, with the, uh, the state races, yeah. um, mm -hmm. which is pretty concerning moving forward. Uh, I, I was talking about it earlier about the, uh, the unemployment insurance issue that's going to be on the table here come January. And, uh, so I'm 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 kind of locked in on that, just seeing how how we're we're doing, and it's looking right. It's early yet, but it's looking grim. Well, I just heard that they just said McConnell is already. Uh, they're predicting him already winning. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. He, he's yeah. he yeah he smoked it. Yeah. But yeah. I'm talking. I'm not even. I'm talking like the the local government, like the the state sure. house and the state. Yeah. Right. Well, Charlie, speaking of this, the state races, uh, have you got any, um, have y'all got any state races for state house or state Senate in, in Georgia going on? I know we don't have that in Alabama this year. Our state legislature uh, is elected in off and midterm years, 2018, 2022. Uh, so we don't have anything like that, but, uh, what's it looking like over there? No, it, we're, as I said, we're really excited. We think we're going to pick up a bunch of seats again. Uh, we, as I said, we picked up 11 two years ago, and we think we're going to pick up a few more. What we've really been working hard on is we've got uh, uh, three union members that are running uh, in these uh, either a House Senate race or a House uh, a House seat, and uh, you know, so we've been working extremely hard trying to get those folks uh, elected. Uh, one in particular is uh, uh, a young lady over in uh, Augusta area. Her name is uh, Soretta Smith. She comes out of AFGE, uh, and it's a it's a state uh, Senate race, which uh, the Republicans have controlled by three or four uh, percent in the last few cycles. But uh, she's a military veteran. She's a good lady, and uh, you know we're trying to we're trying to get her across the finish line. And we do think the other one of the other union members, a lady named uh, Nikita, uh, um, CWA member, I'm going, uh, Merritt, uh, is going to win in uh, uh, North Atlanta, in one of the North Atlanta districts. So uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, this state yeah. continues to change and evolve, and, and uh, we just got to keep the faith and keep plowing. Yeah, well, I'm wishing my sister uh, from AFGE luck. That's I'm 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 from AFGE as well, and uh, our national president's from Alabama, actually, uh, down in Anniston. So uh, glad to glad to hear. I've got a sister over there that that's looking at a you know possibility of getting in the state legislature. So wishing her a lot of luck. Yeah, I know uh, President Kelly very well. He when he was vice president of District Five, he's been a big supporter of the Georgia AFL, and uh, we appreciate everything that AFGE does. Uh, they're one of our largest affiliates in the state, uh, and uh, of course, we have a lot of military bases, and and uh, so yeah, no, they're all great people, and we uh, we love them, and we're working very hard for uh, Sharetta. 
Charlotte, do you feel like, uh, you know, the things, you know, the South has really been seen as a sort of, you know, red, uh, you know, sort of Republican, you know, area. And actually, um, Harold Meyerson talked about that uh, earlier in the show. But I'm wondering if that is, first of all, I'm not sure it was ever 100% true anyway. Um, but from your perspective, it seems like it's probably, you really have to go deeper on a more granular level and take a look. And I think that's where you guys are, especially when you're on these local races. Are you, are you talked about the state level, but what about drilling down even farther? I mean, what about, what about even on a more local level? Yeah, well, you know, we do, we've always done pretty good in the city of Atlanta, uh, you know, with the, through the Central Labor Council or Atlanta North Georgia Labor Council, they've always done uh, pretty well. And that's actually where I got my start a long time ago, uh, working on uh, the city races. And we have tried to branch out, uh, or they have now, and, and uh, work, uh, especially, uh School boards now in uh, in the in the city city council races and county commissioners too, uh, so yeah we're making inroads. Uh, Georgia's changing. Uh, the population is growing so much, uh, and you know like we talked about I think last night there's there's so many people coming from other parts of the country that are not scared or not afraid of of unions. Uh, who uh, actually uh, recognize some of the good work that unions do. Uh, and so the demographics are changing and, and, uh, and the feelings about labor is changing. This is the first cycle probably in, in my time that a number of the Republican candidates are actually running uh, on the platform that th their opponent supports labor. I mean, we, I mean that's a, that's, we, we think that is a blessing, you know, uh, because you know they're they're actually starting to uh, take notice that uh, organized labor and the labor movement is uh, on the ground working our ass off and uh, helping uh, working families in the, in the state and and so it's it's cool <laughs> we love it. Yeah, here in Alabama, we had uh, Tupperville took out an ad in in a lot of uh, local newspapers about how he would stand up to big labor, uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> That was that was fun, and how he supported the Freedom from Union Violence Act. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know that that was, yeah, that was fun. Well, I, it's crazy, uh, you know. And Brent Riley, the president of Alabama AFL, is a good friend of mine, and we've been talking actually tonight. Uh, and uh, you know, it's it's just amazing how they depict us. And I'm I've been a you know, I come out of the airline industry. I'm not a huge guy. I'm, you know, five, six, maybe 170 pounds. Uh, I mean, five, 11, 170 pounds. Uh, and, you know, I'm a big union goon, right? I'm, I'm one of these big union goons. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a air, I'm, I'm an aircraft mechanic uh, originally. I spent 30 years in the airline industry, became a union member 40 some odd years ago. And, I, you know, I do everything that, that we do in Alabama and Florida and all these Southern states, you know, I coach little league, I, I go to church, I do all these things that, you know, they quote unquote, are, are makes them special. But at the end of the day, we are the community. And, and that's what we keep telling them. The other thing I tell them in Georgia is I'm also a machinist and the machinist union was founded 129 years ago in Atlanta, Georgia, two and a half blocks from my office. And so when I go over to that state capitol and we get in these big fights, 
I'll go look. I'll point at the, the legislator and I go, look, you'll be dead and gone. I'll be dead and gone. But the machinist union is still going to be here. We've been here 130 years and we ain't going nowhere. <laughs> it is this. I love it. It's great. Charlie, it's been just wonderful to hear about this. And, and I guess my last question would be, you know, whatever happens, you know, uh, you know, tomorrow we get up and, uh, you know, we, we do it all over again. We move forward. Uh, what, what are you looking at? Uh, you know, set aside the results or whatever. I mean, what's, what's ahead for, for Georgia labor? Well, we're going to continue to push and continue to try to, uh, you know, build coalitions where we can try to grow. You know, the other thing that people don't always uh, necessarily understand, uh, for the last four, four of the last six years, the labor movement has actually grown in Georgia. The, but the percentages don't always show that because the population of the state continues to grow so rapidly that our numbers our percentage might even go down a point or, or you know, a tenth of a point. Uh, but uh, we've been growing and, uh, you know, we represent some of the biggest corporations in, in Georgia and uh, they seem to be doing okay. And so uh, we're just going to continue to fight and push and, and educate folks about the good that we do as a, as a labor movement. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. But I think, I think we're going in the right direction for sure. Yeah. It's it's interesting because I mean you've got you know these guys are in Alabama we've got Kentucky I mean it's these these uh, these kind of numbers you know having having you know radio shows and podcasts out of the South having a growing labor movement in the South there's been a number of elections uh, you know not not unfortunately as many wins as we would like but you know just having these union elections in the South um, you know it, it it begins to look like we are actually making progress and and. Well, I, I take tonight for an example. I've, I've been texting back and forth to my counterparts in North Carolina, mm -hmm. Florida, mm -hmm. you know, and we're all rooting each other on because, you know, normally we would, hell, we'd be gone to bed by now or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> gone to bed, got something to eat, got, got, went and got a beer, you know, but, uh, you know, we're, we're excited. We're, we know the results may or may not work out, but uh, I think everybody's fighting hard and I, I just hope that for our country's sake that, uh, you know, we need to win where we need to win and we get a new president. Amen, brother. Charlie Fleming, really appreciate you taking time to be with us. Keep the faith, brother. All right, Chris. Thanks so much for inviting me. All right. Take care. Charlie Fleming, he's the president of the Georgia State AFL-CIO. Really appreciate him spending some time with us. All right, we're uh, coming into our last uh, little bit here before the nine o'clock hour. Just to let folks know, uh, I've got a real uh, star-spangled lineup uh, uh, coming up at nine o'clock. Uh, Liz Schuler, Secretary uh, Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, will be joining us. Uh, Elise Bryant, President of the Coalition of Labor Union Women, and Deanna Forrester, who is the President of the Metro Washington uh, Council. Uh, here in Washington uh, will be joining us, uh, which will be uh, wonderful, especially since uh, it's been all guys for a while. So <laughs> it'd be nice to uh, have these three powerful uh, women on to tell us what's going on. So that'll be uh, coming up. All right, uh, I think Harold is still offline. I don't think we have Harold back just yet. 
Uh, have we got any other updates from those of you who have been paying attention to the news? Because uh, I have not. Yet anybody, anybody got any news? Preferably good news, but I'll. I've been, uh, I've been following on the Politico map, and I can just do a few updates. And uh, Gene, you may want to mention this, but according to Politico in Texas, 54% of the expected vote is in right now. And Biden is up 51% to Trump's 47.7%. And it's about 200,000 votes. Um, in Pennsylvania, right now, 7% is in. And Biden's up. Uh, it's 77% to 20%. So who knows what that means. Is uh, Biden at 383,000 votes to Trump 100,000 votes. Did it, say, did it say where those were reported from? No, this is just general. So you presume that many votes ahead are probably urban areas. Ohio, Biden is up 54% to Trump 44%. Uh, it's 1.7 million votes to Biden, uh, 1.3 million votes to Trump with 53% in. And Michigan, Trump is up to Biden. 10% uh, has uh, reported so far with Trump being at 57% and Biden at 40%. And so Trump is up um, 300,000 votes uh, to Biden's 210,000 votes. Uh, Florida, right now, uh, Trump is up 51% to Biden, 48%. It's saying 89% of the vote is in. And Trump is up about 300,000 votes right now in Florida. Of course, there's mail-in ballots. Uh, who knows how long it's going to take to count all the the ballots that are coming in through the mail um, may have been lost in the post office shuffle that DeJoy uh, so effectively started delaying mail. Um, but we'll, every vote has to be counted before anything's called. Makes sense. Um, okay. Um, all right. That looks good. And then uh, where are we at? I've lost track of where we are on our videos. I, I would feel like, like we to probably... uh, play a short statement from the Texas AFL-CIO President Rick Levy that Gene Lance has submitted. And uh, Gene, I'm going to set you up so that you can just uh, mention uh, who uh, Rick is and um, you know a little background on this video. This came from Labor Day. Uh, Rick Levy was our guest at the Dallas AFL-CIO Labor Day breakfast. He was our main speaker. And uh, he spoke for about 30 minutes and I chopped it up into seven different videos and sent them to you. It is a short statement, but it's a call to action and I appreciate it, so. So that's why I'm asking each one of you, I'm asking each one of you who's watching to please go to our website at texasflcio.org. And there you can sign up to join our army of mobilized activists, union members that are gonna change the state uh, in November. And especially in Dallas, Y'all, you are ground zero in Dallas. How many races do you have in Dallas? I made a list. I mean, it's like uh, Angela Brewer, Michelle Beckley, Sharon Hirsch, Lorenzo Sanchez, Ana Marie Ramos, Terry Mesa, Victoria Niave, Joanna Katernak, Randy Chambers, Retta Bowers, 
John Turner, Julianne Johnson, Jennifer Scaretto, and then we have our stalwarts, Rafael Anchia, Yvonne Davis, Tony Rosa Gonzalez, and Jasmine Crockett is gonna join them as well. Wow, so um, what, what were those races that he was referencing, uh, Gene? Those were, he's, he's primarily worried about the Texas House. So those were Texas House races. Uh, a number of them are in, uh, in Dallas. None of them have been decided yet. Uh, Colin Allred, though, who is uh, a congressman that, that took a Republican seat last uh, cycle, uh, is running ahead in his race. The other really hot one uh, is uh, uh, Congressional District 24, which lies between Dallas and Fort Worth. And uh, our labor candidate is behind 1% there. Now, are these mostly uh, challenges or, or challengers or incumbents or a mix? The CD24 is a Republican stronghold, has been for a long time. And uh, for us to come within one percentage point there is is pretty amazing. Uh, but all of these races, Texas is gonna be a good example of uh, races that you can't call. It's gonna be a long time before we're gonna know. Uh, for one thing, uh, El Paso is, hasn't even closed their, uh, their uh, voting yet. So we'll start to get El Paso in a couple of hours. And uh, uh, there were a lot of out-of-state voters, a lot of, uh, a lot of military people that uh, their votes come in at odd times. So we had great turnout. Uh, Democrats are celebrating. We had 1.8 million new registered voters. We had 10 million early voters. Uh, and we did very well with uh, union families too. But you're not gonna be able to call Texas. <laughs>